Hello, my name's Jonathan. I'm one of the congregation at Christ Church and I'll be leading us through this reflection. Today we're beginning a new series on the character of Christ. In a little while, Chris is going to be introducing the theme and talking about Christ's courage. So we look forward to hearing from him later. However, before we get on to that, it's good as we come together to just spend a time in quiet reflecting on those things that we're not happy about in our own lives, those things that we want to give to God that we're sorry about. So let's just have a time of quiet now and then our leaders in a prayer of confession. Let us pray. Come, let us return to the Lord and say, Lord our God, in our sin we have avoided your call. Our love for you is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Have mercy on us, deliver us from judgment, Bind up our wounds and revive us. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. May Almighty God, who sent his Son into the world to save sinners, bring us his pardon and peace, now and forever. Amen. In a few minutes, Alison's going to read to us from chapter 23 of Matthew. She's only going to read the first part of the chapter, but actually if you have time to read the whole chapter, it all fits very much into what Chris is saying. The reading is taken from Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 to 12, and I'm reading from the message version. Now Jesus turned to address his disciples along with the crowd that had gathered with them. The religious scholars and Pharisees are competent teachers in God's law. You won't go wrong in following their teachings on Moses, but be careful about following them. They talk a good line, but they don't live it. They don't take it into their hearts and live it out in their behaviour. It's all spit and polish veneer. Instead of giving you God's law as food and drink, by which you can banquet on God, they package it in bundles of rules, loading you down like pack animals. They seem to take pleasure in watching you stagger under these loads and wouldn't think of lifting a finger to help. Their lives are perpetual fashion shows, embroidered prayer shawls one day and flowery prayers the next. They love to sit at the head table at church dinners, basking in the most prominent positions, preening in the radiance of public flattery, receiving honorary degrees and getting called doctor and reverend. Don't let people do that to you, put you on a pedestal like that. You all have a single teacher and you're all classmates. Don't set people up as experts over your life, letting them tell you what to do. Save that authority for God. Let him tell you what to do. No one else should carry the title of father. You have only one father and he's in heaven. And don't let people manoeuvre you into taking charge of them. There is only one life leader for you and them, Christ. Do you want to stand out? Then step down. Be a servant. 
If you puff yourself up, you'll get the wind knocked out of you. But if you're content to simply be yourself, your life will count for plenty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever sent an email that was meant to be playful, but because the receiver couldn't uh, hear the tone in your voice or the smile on your face, they misunderstood and took offence? It's the problem with anything that's written down, isn't it? You need to know what's going on behind the words. I love detective novels. I'm currently on number 93. And I have a few favourite authors, um, partly because I like their detectives. I've read a dozen or so of Ian Rankin's novels because I like his detective, John Rebus. I feel I know him. I know what he's going to do, what he's going to say. I even know what he's feeling and thinking a lot of the time um, because Rankin is good at describing Rebus, the man. But when we read about Jesus, the man... The gospel writers don't give us quite so much help because they have a different purpose in view. In the penultimate chapter of his gospel, at the end of it, uh, John writes that um, Jesus did many other miraculous signs that are not written down, but I've written these down, he said, so that you might know that Jesus is the Christ and that believing in him, you might have life in his name. They know he's a man, They've lived with him for three years. That's not a problem. But what they want us to know is that he is God. But we also need to know the man if we're to have a relationship with him and to love and serve him. So for the next five Sundays, we're going to try to get under the skin of Jesus, the man. We're going to have to dig a bit and use our imaginations One of the reasons I like John Rebus is that I can imagine what he's up to. Using our imagination, for instance, did Jesus have a sense of humour? The gospel writers don't tell us. They don't record any of his jokes. But think of the crowd that he dined with. This rough lot quickly earned Jesus the reputation with the establishment of being a glutton and a drunkard. Do you think his dining companions would have been rolling around in laughter from time to time if he hadn't been a joy to be with? Can Jesus enjoy a joke at his own expense? If not, what kind of person is he? After all, who invented laughter? Without him was not anything made that was made. And yet the Jesus I hear about from some people is always so serious. Might he not have been quite playful at times? His audience would surely have laughed at some of his stories. And even his encounters with individuals that we can interpret as harsh are capable of a number of different readings. For instance, the Gentile woman recorded in Matthew 15, who comes to him asking for help because his daughter uh, is demon-possessed. And Jesus says to her, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, 
The tone of voice is all important there. Is he being stern with her? Or perhaps he has a slight smile on his face. You know, I don't think it's right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, is it? What do you think? Or in John chapter 1, he meets Nathaniel for the first time. And as Nathaniel approaches, he says, there he is, an Israelite without guile. And Nathaniel replies, how do you know? You, we've never met, have we? Oh, I saw you under the fig tree long before Philip called you, he says. And uh, Nathaniel replies, you are the Christ. And Jesus responds, do you believe? Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see greater things than that. Now, is that a, a straight, stern word, or does he have a slight smile on his face? Huh. You don't take much convincing, do you? You ain't seen nothing yet. But so many of the pictures of Jesus we see in art don't help me to meet Jesus the person, Jesus the man, at all. Take pictures of the nativity, often so sentimental. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Little Lord Jesus, we sing. No crying he makes. I simply can't sing that sort of sentimental claptrap anymore these days. This mature baby, radiantly clean in this beautiful designer stable, arms outstretched to assure the nervous adults that all is well. This is Super Baby. Not a real infant, crying because he's dirty and needs his nappy changing. Or pictures of him as a man are often so pale, distinctly white, and almost ghost-like. Not, uh, not a picture of the physically strong man who walked two and a half to three thousand miles on foot, at least during his three-year ministry. A man who showed outstanding courage, which is the element of his personality and we're just spending a moment or two now on this morning. He was resolute. Courage is not suddenly taking a risk, but seeing something coming a long way off and not shrinking from it. We read that Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, even though he knew what was coming. Resolute in his actions. And there was courage in his speaking. He spoke, we read, with authority, not like the scribes and Pharisees. And when the soldiers were sent to arrest him, they came back empty-handed, and when asked why, they replied, we've never heard anyone speak like this man. He is a brave man who will voluntarily speak words which must inevitably bring on him dire consequences and painful ones to boot simply because it's the truth. Listen to these words from our chapter this morning in Matthew 23. I've had it with you, you're hopeless, you religion scholars, you Pharisees, frauds, your lives are roadblocks to God's kingdom. You refuse to enter and you won't let anyone else in either. Snakes, do you think you can worm your way out of this? The whole of chapter 23 of Matthew goes on like that. 
But Jesus doesn't speak like that to the woman taken in adultery or to Mary Magdalene or to Peter after the cock crows, but to the hypocrites, the religious leaders of the day. Resolute in in courage in what he had to say, but equally courage in silence. It's often easier to speak than to keep silent when somebody accuses you of something that's manifestly untrue, isn't it? But that's what he did as they railed at him with these ridiculous accusations during his trial. We read that he answered them, not a word. But there is a sternness about him, and there is nothing more awe-inspiring than the unbending severity of a kindly man who has been roused to righteous indignation. Such a man who is not tender-hearted becomes harsh and cruel. Or one who is only tender-hearted can become weakly sentimental. But we find a wonderful... Um, bringing together of mercy and justice in Jesus. As he takes the whip and drives the money changers and the cattle and everything else out out of the temple. Get out of here. Don't make my father's house a den of thieves. And yet he has such remarkable self control. Anger in the right place. Now and then, we meet a a person who shows considerable self-control. And it's done by repressing ugly things within. And we know that because just occasionally, we see involuntary and uncontrolled emotions peeping through. Flashes of temper that reveal that there is another story underneath. When I was at school as a teenager... Our school chaplain, Colin, was about the most urbane man you could ever wish to meet. Almost too good to be true. And one day I saw another story, another side to him. I was playing for the school, uh, for the boys' rugby team, against a staff team. I was playing at fly half and Colin was playing at flanker. And I shall never forget seeing this raging bull running at me and hitting me with the most shuddering tackle that I can still feel today, and seeing the look of rage in his eyes. What had been within for so long, kept underneath, had hit the surface. Jesus never showed us two different people, even under the severest pressure. One hundred percent consistent was this man of courage. What a man. As we reflect on the character and personality of Jesus the man in the next five weeks, will you ask him to show you the look on his face and to help you hear the tone in his voice? Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, that we can come into your presence, rejoicing in the joy of your resurrection, having celebrated Easter last Sunday. Confident that you hear and answer our prayers, offered in the name of Jesus, who took on flesh. I bring in our prayers today, remembering the Queen and members of the royal family, mourning the loss of the Duke of Edinburgh following his death on Friday. 
and pray for your comfort and strength for each one of them. And now a prayer on the death of His Royal Highness the Duke of Edinburgh. God of our lives, we give thanks for the life of Prince Philip, for his love of his country and for his devotion to duty. We entrust him now to your love and mercy through our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. And we can continue, Lord, to bring before you our broken world, lifting to you areas of conflict and praying for peace and security and for the safety of refugees caught up in violence. In particular, we lift to you Darfur and Mozambique and pray for the end to violence there. We pray too for countries overwhelmed by COVID whose health systems are unable to cope and ask for your mercy. We ask for wise leadership by world leaders to provide equitable access to vaccine programmes and pray for charities seeking to fund vaccines for countries where resources are not available. Nearer to home, we pray for an end to rioting and violence in Northern Ireland and pray for politicians and community leaders as they seek a solution to end the pattern of rioting. We thank you, Lord, for the reduced lockdown in the UK and continue to pray for wisdom for our national and local leaders to make wise and safe decisions as to how the release from lockdown takes place, balancing risks to health and the economy. We thank you for the continued rollout of the vaccines and ask that clear information be available to assure those at risk of its safety. We pray too for those businesses and employees struggling with the consequences of lockdown, for those worried about future employment and those still on furlough. In particular, we lift to those with mental health issues, exasperated or brought on through isolation, and pray for your strength and presence with them. Finally, we pray for ourselves at Christchurch. Thank you for all who continue to lead us through this COVID time. We pray your blessing and continued strength for them. We pray too for wisdom as Christchurch reopens and activities restart on a small scale. And finally, we lift to you all those we know who are sick. Thank you for bringing your healing to many, and be with those who are undergoing or awaiting treatment, and we pray for them. And so we hold a moment of silence to remember those known to us in need of healing as we lift them to you. Now we end our prayers by saying the Lord's Prayer together. So we say together, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, for ever and ever. Amen.